0: thanks Chad morning um, we'll be in the same text as we read uh, for the uh, Advent candle lighting from Alexis thank you and um, so Luke chapter two talking about the angels and the shepherds talking about peace and so if you have your, uh, if you have your Bibles you can turn to that they'll be on the screens it 's also in your bulletin um, like Chad said, I'm, my name's Mike I'm on staff here and uh, We, uh, the majority you know, like Chad said, that my family and I are planning to move to Uganda um, early next year. And the question we keep getting is, when are you leaving? And some people are like, (laughs) when are you leaving? You know, like it's, I don't know why, but, and so it's, it's a valid question. And so the answer to that is, and Stephen told me to say this, so I'm going to, um, that when, when our support is raised. And so we don't buy tickets until we're at 100% support in our one-time monthly. So by God's grace and by the generosity of so many of you and others, we're at 95% of our monthly, which is incredible. I know. Praise Jesus. And we have about a chunk of about 25000 of one-time costs, buy a car, buy tickets, all that stuff, still yet to raise. But we're close. We're getting there. And we're hoping um, end of January, early to mid-February. So we're close. We're closing in, and so again, pray with us if you would, um, that, that God would continue to meet that need, as he has so generously and so quickly, and we're really blown away and very thankful for it. So that is, that is our update. Uh, I'm going to pray for me, and, um, and then and we'll jump in t- to Luke chapter 2. Jesus, um, you're so good. Thank you for sending angels to some random shepherds and t- having Luke write it down to tell us about this coming child, um, this baby who would bring peace to men. Wrap, up our, uh, wrap us up in the story this morning. Convince our minds and win our hearts that we might worship you even now. Um, so please work, Spirit, we pray in your name. Amen. So we're in week two of our Advent series, and this year it's called Life and, uh, I'm sorry, Light and Life. And it's based off of the third stanza of Hark the Herald Angel Sings, right? Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace, hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. I don't know why they don't have me sing more often. Um, Risen with healing in his wings. So light and life to all Jesus brings. The story of Christmas is a story of light and life for all of us, and that right there'll preach, and that 's why we 're preaching on it because it 's really exciting and so um, we 've been playing and we 'll continue to play with these two words about the light and the life of christmas and, and this morning, uh, what I want to focus on in this passage um, is, is is the light and life in worship um, uh, to worship is to give worth to something. Have you thought about that like what is worship it 's when you value something it 's when you ascribe praise, right? You're reflecting and and giving value to this thing. I'm going to talk about um, some things that John Piper uh, taught me, not personally, through some of his books about 20 years ago um, on this topic. And it's really been helpful for me and really formative. And I I pray that it'll be helpful for for all of us this morning. So in worship, light, if you will, we can consider the words, uh, the mind, setting our mind on the truth of who God is. The light of worship is thinking Um, About all that he is, all that he's done. Whereas the life, if you will, speaks more to the heart. It's it's the emotion, it's the warmth around the experience of of grace. And so God calls us to bring these two things, life, the, the light, and the life into worship. Setting our mind's attention on who God is and our heart's affection on our relationship with him and how we need both of these things in worship. Worship is not just one or the other. We need both. So um, we're going to frame out uh, some of the characters in this story, talking about those two things: uh, the light and life in worship. So look with me to, to Luke chapter two, beginning at verse eight. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds at night, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news. This is light. This is declaration. I bring you good news that will cause you great joy. That's life, right? Uh, For all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. The angels show up to some normal random shepherds just doing their job. And they begin to worship. They begin with proclamation. They proclaim the truth of God. They declare, We have good news. This baby is being born over there nearby, and he's the Messiah that you've all, that our whole nation has been dying for. The coming king has been born, and you're gonna find him in like a feeding trough out in this place. Which, again, just to pause real quick, how bizarre that the, the God of the universe chose to be born that way. Again, these themes in Scripture and this story are so familiar. But how ridiculous, how offensive that the God of the world would be born in a place where there was literally no room for him. They had no room for Jesus. And that's where he was born. The angels say, this thing has happened and, you, and it's incredible. I worked with teenagers for many years I was a teenager myself at one point, believe it or not. And um, I just, I was uh, meditating on this passage and thinking about it and trying to put myself into it and thinking, I I kind of imagine when this one angel shows up and these like 16 year old dudes who are probably watching their dad's sheep, that's their night job is they, they do this thing, maybe recently married, not much going on in their life. They're just normal, lower class Shepherds, they're just day workers, night workers, just some guys, and an angel shows up, and at my hunch is they're like, "Do, you, do you see that? Like, are you?" And kind of like the, "I told you we shouldn't eat in those mushrooms." Like, I, I, that's that's the kind of level of human being I think that God is showing up to. Right? Again, I was that guy too, not with the mushrooms, but um, so God shows up, and they're just like, "Dude," and um. But I think the angels knew that. I don't know this, but this is what I think, because the next verse, right, we see, verse 13, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host was there praising this multitude of angels, singing glory to God in the highest, on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. It went from an angel, which is a big deal, to likely thousands of angels filling the sky, Like the glory of God, they're out in the middle of the dark. They don't have like street lights. They don't have headlamps. It's suddenly bright, and they're praising God. And my hunch is, if you're that one of those guys, you're like, okay, like I get it. Right? It went from, oh, I'm really afraid. What is that? Are you seeing that too? This is changing my life. The angels worshipped God, and they said, "Glory to God! The light, peace on earth." towards heaven. I think that's what happens here. Heaven and earth collide in this moment. It's a normal day. Normal dudes. Normal work. Heaven and earth collide and it creates change. The angels say this thing, glory to God in the highest. And we say it a lot, right? We say the word glory a lot. I glorify you. We are supposed to... It's a very Christian word. It's a really important word. If you Um, Were to do a study in Scripture, you would be shocked at how many times God talks about His own glory. It's all over Scripture, and, and God talks about it as the motivation of His heart for why He does what He does. God is committed to His own glory in a way that is mind blowing, and we tend to miss it. My question is do you have a sense of what that word actually means? It's a word we throw around, and I think we forget to define sometimes. And I found this definition about 20 years ago, and it's resonated in my heart, and it means a lot to me. So I want to talk a little sidebar about the glory of God. The definition I heard that makes the most sense to me is that the glory of God is the radiance of his manifold perfections. The radiance of his manifold perfections. So what on earth does that mean? His perfections are his attributes. It's who he is. So the radiance of all that we know about who God is, all of those different attributes and characteristics. So it's who he is and what he's done. So think about everything you know about who God is. And if you've done any kind of studies or been paying attention, it's mind-blowing. It's incredible to study the character of God. And then put with that the work of God, all that we've ever seen. Creation, right? Redemption, the story of the gospel, colors, tastes, experiences. Um, in, In the book of Job, it says that these are the fringe of his ways, as if his glory were a garment and we only see a little piece of hem. We have no sense of just how magnificent huge God is, but the person of who he is and the work of who he is, all of that, the shine off of it is his glory. Think of the sun. Think of the heat and the light coming off of the sun. That is the glory of God coming off of the person and work of the God of the universe. That's the glory of God. So when we, when we glorify God, the question then is, still part of the sidebar, are we adding to his glory? What do we do when we glorify? Are we giving it to him? We say give glory to God, which is it's fine, it's fine language, but are we actually adding to it? I'm going to show you a picture. Um, I looked this up. I remember my dad talking about this. That's not my father. Um, back before, like, everyone knew about skin cancer, uh, that's what people did all the time. This is normal. If you still do this, you should probably stop. Where you sit um, and you have the thing just, like, magnifying. Who you show the next one, too? It's even more bizarre. It's like, do it as a family. Um, a modern bowl for sunbathing. So weird. Um, So when you're, when, when you're doing that, imagine that you have like the normal one and you thought to yourself, you know what, son, son, you do a lot of work and you're always giving us light and heat and you know, I'm going to do you a solid and I'm going to, I'm going to give you some light and heat. And we take one, not one of those, go to the previous one because it's too confusing. Yeah. We take one of those and you hold it back to the sun. Here you go. Here you go, son. Aren't I doing good? (laughs) You so thankful? Um, Sometimes I think if we, th- we or, or, sorry, when we worship God, we're reflecting back to him who he is. We're not adding to him. He doesn't even need us, but he wants us. He wants us to engage with him and to reflect back to his greatness because he's so great. He's so overwhelming. When we worship God, we're reflecting back to him. We're not adding to him. And here's how I know Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven, right? So when you're out there doing your thing and if people see you and they see who you are and they see what's going on, are you hoping they come up and be like, hey, Adam, great job, buddy. I glorify you. That would be weird, right? Hey, guy, you're doing so good. I glorify you. No, we want them to say like, I see God moving in you, I know Jesus more because of you, and I praise God for it. And that glory goes back to him. Here's why it's good news. Glory to God in the highest, but peace on earth towards men. When we worship God, he gets the glory, we get the grace. He is the giver, we are the receiver. We get all the good stuff that knowing God is, and he gets the praise. It's a beautiful system he's created for us. Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth towards men. The angels proclaim the light, and you sense the life. Right before there in Matthew 5, just to put a point on it, Jesus tells us we're supposed to be two things, right? You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the world in the earth. The light of the world is truth. It's, it's proclamation. It's telling the gospel. We are to go out. We are to shine like a city upon a hill, sharing the good news, proclaiming who Jesus is. That's light. Salt is a little different. I use salt to make my vegetables taste good, you know. Um, that's, the kind of, that's what salt is for us. Back then, salt was um, crucial. They had no freezers, right? So they would salt the meat and it would make the meat die less quickly. It would make the rot not happen. Jesus says, go make the rot not happen. It's kind of weird. Here's why that matters. It's our call to go into places of darkness and of brokenness and through Jesus, make it better. To go into the city, to go into your workplace, to go into your homes. When you're at Starbucks or whatever, To make it a little better. It's it's being Jesus. It's offering life, right? Light and life to all he brings. Jesus cares about both. Some people tell you the only thing that matters is you share the gospel. I don't believe that's true. I think it's very important that we share the gospel in word and deed, light and life, light and salt to all he brings. So, the angels are worshiping God. They proclaim the light. They proclaim and offer this life. They change the life of the shepherds. So, let's look at the shepherds. The shepherds worship as well with light and life. Funny uh, little thing between verse 11 and 12 that's not in the text. Something the angels don't say. They say to the shepherds, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who's Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You're going to find this baby wrapped in, like he's going to be swaddled, and he's going to be in the feed trough. What did they not tell him to do? Go find him. They never tell him what to do. They just say, oh, guess what? Really good news. It's going to change your life. He's over there. When the glory of the Lord shows up, we change. When the glory of God shows up in our life, We change. The shepherds, they did not need to be told, you should leave your sheep here for a few hours. And it probably was a pretty narrow window. Again, think about it. If Jesus was still in the manger, my hunch is Mary didn't, like, you know what? It's a nice little barn. Let's stay here for a week. Let's just hang out. Let's recoup. You know, like, it's probably not that comfortable, but they said, go find him in this strange place, where, again, my hunch is he didn't. Stay. And they did. It goes on to say the shepherds went and found him. And they told Mary and Joseph. In first service I tried to say Matthew and Jacob, who are definitely not the parents of Jesus. I don't know. Um it's like, Jesus help. Um, they found Mary and Joseph, right? And they told them what they saw, and Mary treasured it up in her heart. And Joseph's like, Okay, because that's what guys do. But um, and then they went on, so they, they were there with the baby, and they went and they told everyone that they could find. Do you know what we just happened? We are just out there on the hills. They're like, are you guys eating those mushrooms again? They're like, no. There is these angels and there's a thousand angels and we found the baby and it was incredible. And everyone's like, oh my gosh, this is real. This is really happening. And it says they worship God all all the time and then they went back to the sheep. I love that. They literally went back to the sheep. The glory of God showed up. They went. They told. They worshiped. They told everyone they could see and they went back, changed people up onto the hill. And here's why I know that. Because we know about them. Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, is all first-hand accounts. He probably interviewed them and said, tell me a little more about what really happened that night. And they got to tell the story again. And we don't know their names, but the glory of God had changed them. This is true for us. Has God won your heart at some point? Do you remember the wooing of God when he came and he grabbed you? Of when he's moved in your life, when he's answered that prayer? Or have you seen it in someone else's life? I want us to taste that this morning. Because I think we can find it here in the Christmas story. For my family, uh, most of you know, I'll talk a little bit about how we felt called to Uganda. Oh, yeah, there's my family. My son's actually more excited about Uganda now than he was in that picture. Um, and he's a happy child. He was really upset this morning when my, my wife took a bite of his cookie, but that's another story. So um, my wife, when she was 21, visited Kenya um, and, and, and interacted with some African women and felt the call, actually just saw some pregnant Kenyan women kind of by this hospital over and over and over and, and God began to put this call in her heart to work with women in Africa. And eventually she became a nurse. She interned with a midwife. She became a doula. She was working in hospitals for eight years. So she's always had this, like, when are we going to move to Africa so I can do this? And I'm like, uh, I, I don't know. Because um, I didn't feel the same call. I, was, I always told her I was open to it. But I'm like, God, I need you, I need you to do something here. Because this doesn't, it needs, it, I need to feel the call. I need to feel a call too, Right? So some of our close friends moved to the Democratic Republic of Congo um, to do medical missions there. And they were there for a few years. And after a few years, they came home on furlough, and they were going back, and they said, you know what we need? We need a pastor. We need someone to, to, to come pastor this group of missionaries. Would you pray about moving to Congo to do this? And I was like, for the first time in my life, I was like, God, is this you? What? Like, this resonates for me. It's a weird job in a scary place so we began to ask this far-off question, God, are we, are we supposed to move there? God, are we supposed to move to Congo? And as we began to pray that, um, Casey was still pregnant with Boston. Um, we started to make plans. He ended up being born with a breathing uh, situation. Our family freaked out about us even visiting. We were going to leave our daughters home. The morning we left, our Piper, our second, had a 102-degree fever. Uh, the State Department, the morning we left, told us they downgraded the safety status and said no one should travel there. The day we're leaving, three hours before we got on a plane. Over and over and over, we had these like minor crises as we're praying with many of you, with the elders in the session here at church. And we're praying, God, are we supposed to do this thing? And like it was like this huge crisis would show up. And we're like, God, are we supposed to, what do we do now? And he, it was, he would answer that moment as we prayed and as you prayed with us in a really specific way, and the glory of God would show up and answer it. And as he answered it, it's like a light shone down, and like a, a footstep, a stepping stone showed up in front of us, and we said, "God, we're we supposed to do that." Crisis. What do we do now? And He says, "Take this one step." Okay, God, we trust you. You're good. We can do it. Took a step. God, are we supposed to take this one step? Crisis. Take this one step. Crisis. Take... It was about and without exaggeration, there were pro- close to about fifty of these in a matter of months. It was ridiculous. And every time, God used even some of you and our pastor to tear down that wall and say take one step. So by the time we got to the end of visiting a place we were able to say a few months later with the prayers of our life group and others with confidence God we're supposed to move to Uganda. You're calling us to this place. People say why how would you do this? Like you're not young and you've got little precious babies. What are you and we said it's what God wants. The glory of God showed up in our life, and it changed us. We're not awesome. We do not have great faith. We just asked a question, and we kept asking it, and God answered. For these shepherds, God's glory shows up, and the truth of the coming king was, was proclaimed, and they believed it, and they went and saw, and it changed them forever. I love it. They run and see him and then go back. Sorry, they run and see him and they go and tell everyone, right? And this feels a little bizarre. I'm going to use a word that's really scary. Sorry. If any kids, you might want to. Evangelism. It's a scary word. It's literally in the passage, right? I mean, good news of great joy to all people. It's, the, it's evangelized. It's the gospel. We come and bring good news. There's good news, and the shepherds started saying, "There's good news." And sometimes when we evangelize, we get really scared. Like I, don't, I, I have to like quote a, an apologetics article and convince someone, and arm wrestle spiritually. Like that's not evangelism. Evangelism is like God did something. God met me this morning. God answered a prayer. God didn't answer my prayer, but I know He's good. God's moving. That's all evangelism is. It's just saying, "Good. Here's good news." And we do this all the time, but as Christians, we tend to like go, oh, but I don't want to do it here. And here's how I know we do this. If, if you're a grandparent, if there's some grandparents hanging out with some other grandparents that they're not, you know, connected to, just friends, what do they talk about? Grandkids, Grandkids. exactly. Or if you left this morning and, you, and you're like, hey, I heard there's a taco shop named Lola 55 three blocks away. There is, it's amazing. I'll tell you about it. And you walk in and it's beautiful and there's like a cool soundtrack and there's someone mixing something that looks weird. I'm not gonna drink that, but it's awesome. And I have these tacos and they're so good. I'm like, these are the best tacos I've ever had in my whole life. What's the next thing you do? You take a picture and where do you put that picture? On social media. When you delight in something, it is not complete until you tell someone. That's just the way delight works. When you delight in something, it is not complete until you tell someone. And here's another way I know that. Because if you sit there and you're eating those tacos and you're not talking about it, you're like this, (laughs) these tacos are really good. (laughs) And it's really weird, it's creepy. (laughs) Or if you like someone, a crush, you guys remember this? Maybe you're still in it, I don't know. And you're like, she's so, I saw her, and she like talked to me, and if you just talk, if it's inside, if it's internal, it's super creepy. I was, I was, I wrote this, I, I sometimes write stuff at Denny's, that's where it's easy for me to go to Denny's, keep getting coffee for like $2, and they'd leave me alone, I don't know why, and there's like conversations, and they're all in Spanish, because I live in National City, and it's just really easy for me to do work, that's I only go there when I write sermons, don't worry, and don't eat any food. Um. And I was practicing that, and it was really weird, and that's all I want to say about that. So um, when you delight in something, you, you have to tell someone about it. That's, it's the same for a relationship with Jesus. It's no different. Why would evangelism be anything else other than saying, this thing really happened to me. It changed my life. It matters. That's it. <laughs> Literally but don't do the social media evangelism because that's really weird. Just don't, you know, that doesn't usually work. You can do a little bit, but don't do a lot, it's strange. Um, the shepherds experienced the light. They told everyone about it. They worshiped God. They went back to work, changed people. The third, pre- the third people I want to find in this story are us. We're not literally there, but we're pretending like Stephen told us last week. In Advent, we pretend. We anticipate the coming of Jesus. And Christmas reminds us of the gospel. Christmas is the advent of the gospel. We're called to worship in light and life. We need the truth of the gospel, just like the, the angels proclaimed, just like the shepherds needed. We need to receive this incredible truth that the God-man, Jesus who tabernacled among us. We need to know the God of the universe, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, our Savior, our Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, this Jesus who would grow and live a perfect life and have a brief ministry and be killed in the worst event in human history as God, very God, is killed on a cross. But then he rose again and he conquered death to give us life. That is the light of the message of Christ that offers us incredible light and comfort and hope to know that it offers incredible life to know that we can know the God of the universe. Um, Earlier this year, as we're raising our kids, uh, we started asking Piper, our our middle daughter, um, about you know, Easter message. It was Easter time, and she goes to Christian school, and a few weeks before that, Piper, what do you think? And they're like, I don't know. And we're like, oh my gosh. Like, we're not doing a good job. And, um, and then she was in, an, like, an Easter play or something in her, in her little Christian preschool, and she came home one night, and she got all excited, and she goes, guys, did you know Jesus? He, and she got so animated. She just turned three. Jesus, he, he came, and he lived this life, and the bad man they killed him. And we're like, yeah? And, and, and she goes, but, but he, he rose again. And she started to laugh. Like it was the most incredible thing. She was giddy. And we said, Piper, wh- why did Jesus have to die? And we're like, she's, she's three. What's she going to know? And she said, they, he died for the badness. He died for all the, the badness. How, from the mouth of babes, everything, everything bad, Jesus came to give us light and life to to everyone, to conquer the badness in this world, the badness in my own heart. to win us back to him, who say to God, I don't don't need you, when we don't believe that God can make a difference, when we don't want to take the time to even consider that he's going to make a difference or that he cares or that he's forgiven us. He's not tired of us. He loves us. He knows who we are. He knows how our hearts are bent, and he intercedes. Heaven meets earth, as announced by the angels, as experienced by the shepherds, and we are called to find ourselves in that moment and delight in the gospel. My family and I were in Colorado last month for some missionary training for a a number of weeks, and it was a a hard stretch for me, um, just feeling really, like, condemned and kind of condemning myself, and it was just a really hard moment, as can happen when you are trying to Learn about how you can better serve Jesus and um, a pastor from St. Louis who's also from our agency and, and he and his family are going to London, he, um, he reminded me of Zephaniah 3 and it just felt like something I'd never heard before. I want to read it to you about this baby boy who would become our savior. This is prophecy talking about how God is going to come and redeem. It says, The Lord God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. And then God says, And I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all of the earth. God gets the glory, we get rescued. That's the gospel. And it's not one time. It's not just 2,000 years ago. It's not just the first time you say, Lord, help. It's for the rest of your life. It is the path. It is the equation God has given us to live by. That over and over we say, God, please save. Help, Father. God, please come. Redeem. Do your work for the badness that still exists in this place, for the badness in my home, in my workplace. Jesus, please come save. And he says, I have. And I will. We need the life and light of Christmas. One last thing. A brief uh, word of warning on on these two concepts. We need both, life and light, light and life. It's easy um, to be wired more towards one or the other, um, to, to be more, like, heady and mindful and theological and Presbyterian uh, and whatever... Uh, the depth, right, which is good. It's not bad. You want to be heady. You want to have a big picture of God. We want to study God. We want to know God. We want to wrestle with the nuances of theology, who he is, how does God work, what has he done, what happens when, when it's hard. And we want to wrestle with relationship with Jesus, loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, um, pursuing him, being in this relationship, and, and truly l- and responding with our heart's affection, Right? But we need both because lifeless worship that lacks that affection, it dries up. If if it is all just our mind, it is not connected to our heart, it leads to pride, to burnout, to isolation. It lacks empathy. It is no way to live. At the same time, lightless worship, if you will, that is only founded on what God has done for me lately, who I think he is, how I feel when I worship. If it's only in isolation, those are all important things. If that's an isolation and we do not have worship and a life that is filled with truth and responding to the gospel, it is also out of balance. And it takes just a little bit of darkness to come in where there is an absence of light to destroy it. What if God doesn't answer that prayer? What What if you stop feeling that way in that service? What happens? So that we need worship and life, responding to the gospel that is filled with light and truth and filled with life and hope and relationship. The mind's attention fixed on the character and nature of God, the heart's affection fixed on the relationship of walking with Jesus because there's seasons where it'll be out of balance, of course, but we must strive to have both. We must set our minds' attention upon the glory of God, remembering who he is and what he's done, and our hearts' affection upon the same, delighting in who he is and what he has done as we experience God. Worship his light and life. Go forth and worship Christ your king for his worthy glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. May we worship God this Christmas. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for Christmas. Thank you that in some way every day should be Christmas as we think of the incredible gift of knowing you, the incredible gift of salvation, of hope, of deliverance, of redemption. Thank you for this season. Thank you for all the trappings of Christmas that are not about you, but that can even then pull us into remind us of the great gift of Christ our King. Help us to worship you this morning, now. Help us to worship you this week, this season, in our homes, with our families, to worship you where you're not, to where it seems like you're not, because you are everywhere so we can find you. Help us to pursue you with our minds and with our hearts to delight in you. We need you, Jesus. Thank you for Christmas. pray in your name. Amen.